Get smart radio. We don't want to do anything to scare your children. That's the last thing we want to do. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. <laughs> I don't wonder what's in your cereal bowl, you know? Get smart radio. I'm going to try and forget you said that. Welcome to Get Smart Radio. We're live. We're live in San Francisco at the Coffee Bar, which is at 890 Bryant Street in San Francisco. But that means nothing because if you go to 890 Bryant Street, San Francisco, there is no coffee bar. Just so you know. We're actually on Mariposa and Florida in San Francisco. Who, who knew? Tonight's topic. There is nothing trite or light about the topic of tonight. We sort of dread the talk of dead. We'd rather drink instead. In fact, we are huddled here together to drink tonight because we learned from last month's Get Smart Radio show that there are particular things to drink when you're talking about death. That particular drink is? Tequila. Tequila. Very good. You learned. <laughs> but we're huddled together tonight to talk about care of the dead. There's a lot of euphemisms, and one of the things we want to walk away from tonight with Get Smart Radio is a, a working vocabulary about death, specifically caring for the dead and our options. In that way, we are caring not only for the dead, we are caring for ourselves because we, at some point, will be dead. And it's nice to care for ourselves in that state, meaning that we'll get to understand what our options are. It's also great to understand if you have loved ones that you're trying to figure out how to help them at some point. So I think, in general, the culture that we live in doesn't talk about this enough. And then when things happen, we're kind of screwed. So Get Smart Radio's goal tonight is to really not be screwed and to prepare both from a spiritual place, from a fiscal place, fiscal, and also from a community place so we all can support each other. To help us in this conversation, I've invited two spectacular gentlemen who are so cute, by the way. Um, I'm, I'm a little stunned. We have somebody who's been um, embalming and a licensed embalmer for 30 years, and he is currently the assist associate executive director of the Sinai Memorial Chapel. Please welcome. Thomas Halloran. And joining Thomas is a, a guy who said he started working in a mortuary when he was 15 years old, and he is 17 now. His name is... Uh, he's also the uh, operations director of the Pacific Interment Service place on Folsom and 17th, right here in San Francisco. Please welcome Jason Bruce. So to bring us into the mood, we always need something that resembles a song. I'm just a poor wayfaring stranger Traveling through this world alone There is no sickness, no toll, no danger Just a going or Jordan. I'm just a going over home. I know dark clouds will gather around me. I know my way is hard and steep, but golden fields lay just before. Love's redeemed, and no shall we. I'm going there to see my mother. She said she'd meet me when I come. I'm just a going over Jordan. I'm just a Still going over Jordan. I'm just a going over 
Get Smarty Pants Band. Please welcome Randy Weaver on the bass. Woody Simmons on banjo. And our musical director and arranger, Italian stallion on accordion, Davinci Giacomo. And you'll be hearing more from them throughout the night and watch them while they're not playing. It's really interesting. They just don't know what to do with their hands. It's really incredible. So Jason and, and, and um, Thomas, thank you for coming. Is it Thomas or Tom? Okay, Tom. So Tom. George and Peter. Okay, so we are all really interested. The first question we have is tell us a little bit about yourselves and how you got into your fields. And, and actually, at some point, we'll distinguish what you guys do from each other, but right now, just let us know who you are and how you got involved. In 1968, when my grandfather died, I was obviously a small child, but I remember the he was military and he was an SF police officer. So when he died... His service had a lot of pomp and circumstance. And I remember the church services, the flag draped casket, and riding in the limousine with my mother in a jump seat, going down to Golden Gate National Cemetery. Part of me thought that it was very um, glamorous. It was very regal, and it left an impression upon me. Early high school, I worked at a mortuary. I, um, I was really young, and I would sweep the parking lot and wash the cars, and I thought I was hot stuff. And I got a job in 1980 while I was a senior in high school at a mortuary that is now closed here in the city, Comiskey and Roach Funeral Home. And I worked as a student there and put myself through mortuary college. The easiest way to explain it is some people, when they're little kids, they say they want to grow up and be a fireman or a policeman. For me, and this is quite literally the truth, I always wanted to work in a funeral home. And even as a kid, our backyard, I would bury all the neighbors. <laughs> okay, ladies and gentlemen, that's really good to Not the people, but their pets. You just gave us the topic for the next show, thank you. Thank you for that. Jason. Well, you know, um, for me, unfortunately, mine's a little boring. So I didn't have this epiphany as a child. Uh, I wish I did, but unfortunately I didn't. Um, I actually got started just, uh, just by pure luck, actually, pure dumb luck. I um, started when about 19, actually 95, so a little bit, little bit after your time that you started. But um, when I started, I was actually working at a, uh, just a fitness center, a local fitness center in town, and I was a lifeguard. That's like the first thing you can do, the first job you can ever get when you're about 15 years old. So I worked at this fitness center, and I taught swimming to these kids, and um, one day this lady approached me, and she's like, you're Jason? I'm like, yeah. She's like, you teach my, my kids uh, how to swim. And I'm like, oh, okay. So uh, she's like, you know, they really like you. They rave about you. You're such a nice guy, funny, blah, 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 all this stuff. She's like, do you want to work for us? We own a local business here in town. I was like, at 15, I was like, anything I could get to get my hands on some money. I was like, sure, why not? So um, little did I know it was the mortuary. It was the local mortuary. So they're like, yeah, we own, you know, such and such mortuary downtown. I was like, oh, okay. So my first day of work, I showed up and just like uh, Tom, they had me, you know, sweeping the parking lots, vacuuming up the chapels, washing the cars, doing all sorts of stuff. And every day, it just progressed. Every day after high school, I'd get off at about 2.20 in the afternoon. I'd hit the um, funeral home by 3 o'clock. I'd work 3 to 6. If there was nothing going on, if there was a visitation at night, I'd stay till about 9 o'clock. So every day after high school, I would just show right up and do what they needed me to do. And then um, the owner actually had me start in the prep room when I was about 16 years old, just kind of overseeing, watching embalming, helping dress uh, bodies, casket people, help on funerals on the weekends. And I just kept on going. And then little did I know, I ended up in a mortuary school at the Cincinnati College of Mortuary Science in Cincinnati, Ohio, and came back to work for the same company that I grew up working for. And then one day I was just like, I got to get out of Michigan. I can't stand the snow. I can't stand the ice. So I got a job with uh, Carriage Services Incorporated. They're the third largest funeral home chain in the world. And they brought me out to San Jose, California, which is where I started down at Darling Fisher Mortuary in San Jose. They put me up. I lived right above the mortuary and worked there. <laughs> 
lived right above it. Uh, Six yeah. feet over. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> it was, you know, it was small, but hey, it was free, and it was California, and it was San Jose, so, you know, free rent, hey, whatever, I got it. About uh, almost three years ago, I came out to uh, San Francisco, always wanted to live out here, and got a job at Pacific Interment Service, which is where I am now. A uh, little boring. Sorry, sorry. Uh, no, not boring at all. They're very consistent, actually. You know, when I spoke to both of these gentlemen on the phone, they, they both had a subtle way of wondering the nature of the evening, like, oh, we're going to be spoofy, are we going to be respectful, are we going to have fun? And it was a, it's a fine line, especially talking to me. But, but fear not, because I, I got a text about an hour ago from a friend, and she said, are you going to put the fun in funeral? And I looked at the text, and I thought to myself, maybe so, but not really. But I have to say that about two weeks ago, um, thank you to Woody Simmons, I got to see the Dalai Lama, and he was gigging at the Greek, and um, who opened for him was Sharon Stone, by the way. That was not a Dalai Lama experience. She spoke very deliberately. (laughs) And I wanted to drive a Mack truck through every pause that she said. So by the time the Dalai Lama started speaking, he was like a rapper. Yo, peace through compassion. Like he was so completely rhythmic and beautiful and in his self and I was like, this is the truth. This is the way to go. And I bring this up because, to my next question actually, the life force that the Dalai Lama brings out is pretty profound. When you guys wake up in the morning and you go to your work, I want to know from each of you if if it's something you're taught in school or if it's something you develop over the years, what do you do? How do you reconcile your life force with the work that you do that is the ending of the life force, which is the ultimate repose, and how do you confront that space and stay healthy and stay compassionate in the same breath? Well, you know, it, it takes time. It takes a lot of time, and um, you know, when you first get into it, uh, you get a little shell shocked. You you don't you know realize what these people are going through, and they come to you in the the worst time of their life, and you kind of have to to realize that sometimes. But you also have to realize that this is what you do. This is your job. Uh, just like firemen and paramedics and policemen, you really can't take it home with you. But, you know, everybody has their own thing. Uh, you know, some people, it's religions, uh, you know, whatever it might be. To me, I just look at it as a, something that needs to be done. It's something that not a lot of people can do. And uh, I take pride in myself for what I do. And um, I thank God every day that I can actually do what I do. A lot of people are like, oh, man, how can you do that on a daily basis? And it just, it came natural to me. And uh, I guess I'm one of the, the few, you know, that, that it came naturally to, but... You just have to look at it. It's something that needs to be done, and you've got to get in there and do it, and uh, just, you know, uh, don't let it affect your daily life. If I was working with two families on Monday, tomorrow I quite literally may not remember their names um, because that's how important it is for us in our industry to put aside the grief. I mean, I often tell people that our higher powers or our gods will give us our fair share of grief in our own lifetime, we need not absorb the grief and heartache of others. And it's a learned thing, as Jason had stated. Through the years, you learn to put up an emotional wall. I've watched. I've watched people in our industry over the last three decades succumb to the grief, and they reach out in inappropriate ways, whether it's through alcohol or drugs, to compensate for absorbing this and they have to leave the industry because it can be very crippling is there an equivalent of like an uh, like an aa for people who need and I'm, I'm not joking like is there a support group for people in your industry no currently to my knowledge there is not note to self i'm looking for work that's good <laughs> um you know before i ask the next question i want to remind the studio audience that there are little golf pencils and there are postcards and Lindsay over there, the beautiful woman by the corner and for the radio people she's about 5'10", black shirt on blonde hair. Um, please give her your postcards and your, your questions are really important to this because I've prepared a couple but I'm really depending upon you to really bring life to this no pun intended and let us know what your questions are because here you are you're talking to two people that are living it, doing it breathing it and it's fascinating. Before I go on to the next question, I have to ask. So there must have been a time in your early careers where you didn't have... You both are incredibly eloquent, by the way, and I really appreciate that, so thank you for being eloquent. Um, when you, you you screwed up and you, you really didn't have that boundary and it was really a horrible 
moment where you had to have a reckoning, like, if I don't develop it, I'm going to lose it. Was there a particular time in either of your careers that that was a breaking point where you said, wow, i got to work on this? In the 80s, here in San Francisco, we were exposed to many untimely deaths of close friends. And myself being in my industry, people and my friends called upon me to uh, render assistance. And I found that to be crippling. 30 years in this industry, for me personally, loss, I I don't handle it very well. But I can run a multi-million dollar (laughs) uh, business, three mortuaries, two cemeteries, and not be affected. But when it hits me home, then I am... um, impacted children an untimely death of a child or um, I'll share with you real quick the last time I was really affected was probably within the last month there a young couple they were engaged in Paris and she was a physician and a month or so after their engagement she had inoperable cancer and she it turned out that obviously it was not going to be um, a positive ending so he married her a month after their marriage she died and that all happened like within a year period and I found that to be terribly romantic and that was it touched me to the point where I was sitting in front of this young husband with tears in my eyes and that's okay you know because he shared with me his life experience and it was moving but nine times out of ten I'm in there it's a business and We'll make arrangements, prepare a body, embalm, conduct a funeral service, bury that individual, and go on to the next. You know, just like Tom, I can remember a time, uh, and I was young, I mean, I was about 17, a family on a country road was just driving, and all of a sudden got slammed with a, with a semi-truck, and uh, got T-boned right in the side, and all four people in the entire car just died. I remember going to the hospital and retrieving them one by one, and it was an entire family. And the aunts and uncles had to bring in the clothes, and there were four, four sets of shirts, four sets of pants, four sets of shoes. And it was just, just devastating to look at, thinking that this entire family was just you know, on a, on a road trip to pick pumpkins, and then all of a sudden, it's just gone, and we had to get four hearses. And I mean, it was just, it was just devastating. And, and again, I was young, so I, that was extremely hard for me. And also, you know, like Tom said, it's, uh, you know, for 14 years I've been doing this, and, you know, rarely will something get to me. But when it's my turn, uh, when, you're, when I'm on the other side of the table, it, uh, it takes a toll. I lost my father in November uh, to cancer, and uh, it was, I was a wreck. I was an emotional wreck. And, uh, you know, it's just like Tom said, we come in, we do this business. I can run, a, uh, you know, this uh, over Pacific internment on a daily basis. I go in and I do what I need to do. But then when it comes to me sitting on that side of the table facing the funeral director, it's a completely different story. And there's just no amount of experience in the world that I think can prepare you for something of, of losing a, uh, a parent or a, a child or a close loved one. And in terms of preparation, that's probably the most important thing that we're faced with is... I, I highly doubt that family, with all four passing on, had any kind of uh, funeral arrangements made or any no, kind of paperwork. In doing research for this night, I was really struck by the financial issue. And it's, it, it weighs heavy because just this past week, there has been like four or five shows on NPR having to do with how the recession is hitting your industry. I don't know if you guys have been aware of this. It's spooky. I think they're trying to copy me, and I'm going to really take them to court. Because um, it's my idea and my show. Um, but I have read that, well, this is the distinction I want to make right now between Jason and Tom. So our firm is a religious, it's a nonprofit religious organization, and our primary purpose is to uh, render assistance and service to those of the Jewish faith. And the Jewish community tend to be more traditional than not. And the Pacific Interment Services offer a whole other spectrum. We do. We're a family-owned, full-service mortuary and crematory, but uh, our specialty is direct cremation. Uh, we're one of the lowest in the county uh, for a direct cremation, and that's, you know, we own and operate our own crematory, so, you know, probably 80 to 85% of our business is, is cremation, and a lot of it is direct cremation, meaning no services, no viewings, um, nothing formal at all. Basically, we retrieve the deceased, um, uh, do the paperwork, perform the cremation, and then return the cremated remains to the family. Is the cremation on your property right there on Folsom? It's not, no. Our crematory is located in Emeryville, actually. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Tom, but I I think there's 
uh, crematories aren't allowed in the city and county of San Francisco. I, no, I, I have to tell you, I passed by your place for like 18 years now, and I keep on looking and see, looking for like a s- smoke. Quite frankly, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just I always wonder because it looks it's big enough to it's it's not a small office. It's actually a bigger space. So I thought maybe that there's underground pipes. It goes to like city hall. It comes up the path. I don't know. <laughs> In the city and county of San Francisco, uh, burials are not allowed, city ordinance, or crematoriums. So for funeral, there's no cemeteries in the city and county of San Francisco. The only cemeteries that are allowed are Mission Dolores, because it is a mission, it stays. The Columbarium on Laurel, which is a architectural um, historic point, and Presidio National. Other than that, prior to 1920, there were several uh, cemeteries in San Francisco. Uh, Dolores Park was home of Peace Cemetery, and they were all moved to the Colma area. So when you're laying on the on the grass at Dolores Park, remember where you are. You know, there is an interesting cross section though between Pacific Interment and Sinai Memorial Chapel because the Jewish faith and the Muslim faith don't want embalming. So there's something very green about that, correct? There's something very um, natural. In the Jewish faith, um, the body is not to be disturbed. So upon death, the remains are brought to Sinai Memorial Chapel, and a family that is very traditional will have what's called shomir. And that is a religious individual who will come to the mortuary that evening and sit with the deceased and do prayers throughout the evening. The body is then washed religiously, which is called tahara, and placed in takrikam, which is the religious burial shrouds, and then placed in a very simple casket, and burial should be for very traditional families before sundown the following day. And where does the expense come in? Does it come in in, in the service itself or the, and the casket, or does it come in an actual the burial space, the actual um, cemetery? Where's the big hit? The major hit would be the cemetery property. An average funeral at our facility with a modest casket selection would be around $4,4500. The cemetery property itself for one grave, opening and closing recording fees, the grave liners, and endowment care is around $6,200. So you're looking at... uh, $10,000, $11,000. Are there loans out there that banks give that are specific to this kind of thing? At our facility, we set up trust accounts, pre-arrangements, trust accounts, where a family will come in, they'll put all their uh, statistical information down, they'll put their their wishes, make a grave selection, make merchandise selection, we give them a total, then they'll put those funds aside. We put them in a trust account. And those funds are not uh, available to us until that death occurs. Who in this audience, by a show of hands, and I'll tell the listening audience, I promise, um, have any arrangements right now for, or anything written down for your future? So we've got about three or four, and everyone in this room is over 70. This has been really fascinating. <laughs> I can't believe this. Okay, so about three or four. The room is, there's about 60 people in this room, and that's, that's very interesting. This is why... Um, it's an interesting conversation to have, especially with swine flu floating around. Um, Jason, I would assume that it's like cheaper to, to burn myself than to bury myself. Well, it, it is, you know, uh, because with cremation, you don't, uh, you're not required to purchase things like a casket and a cemetery plot and a cemetery vault and all those things. Uh, you know, our direct cremation is about nine hundred eighty-three dollars, and uh, yeah, <laughs> that's really cheap. <laughs> that includes, you know, the retrieval, uh, a local retrieval of uh, where the decedent passed away, and includes uh, the filing fee, taxes, all the paperwork, and the uh, cost of cremation itself. So, and we do actually, uh, as Tom was saying, you know, we we write what we call California Master Trusts, where people can come in and prepay for their own cremation ahead of time. And it locks down today's prices. So that way, you know, because generally... It's like the 529 college savings plan. Did you know that? In the 529 college savings plan, you can lock in your tuition now and your kid in 18 years pays what it costs now. I'm not promoting Oppenheimer, but I just did a video for them. But it's interesting that that kind of system works. I think it's, it's wonderful. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, and it's very highly regulated. And uh, the good thing is, is we work uh, with a company, like Tom said, called California Master Trust. 
And uh, the great thing about them is it's very easy. Uh, you know, the family just writes one check. If they pay it in full, it guarantees the cost at, at today's rate. It goes into a trust account. It grows interest. And, you know, it's only accessible to us, the funeral home, when the person passes away. And basically everything's taken care of. We have all the vital information we need. Uh, we really don't even need to contact the family except, you know, when would you like to pick up your, your loved one's cremated remains. So it's, uh, it's a good thing. We oh. offer cremation also. Oh, you do? <laughs> Well, you didn't tell me that. And let's talk about price, shall we? For what he described, for what, 900? 983. 983. Ours is around 2200. It's nice of you act now. Yeah. 2200. Ooh. <laughs> but we have an orchid plant in the lobby. <laughs> that's worth it right there. That's, you know, that's perfect. And as the years go by, I, you know, it's not good corporate practice, but I'll make arrangements with a family and I'll, I'll sense and see that they are overbuying. And I will direct them to um, uh, more modest merchandise to help them on a financial level. And some families have come in to make arrangements with us and have chosen cremation based on an economic situation. And because Sinai Memorial Chapel is a religious nonprofit organization, we are able to provide full traditional services to that individual, simple, modest, traditional casket, the burial space at Eternal Home Cemetery, and we charge them nothing. Thank you for doing that. This is so, are we, are we, are we learning? Are we growing? It's really interesting. Um, before we go to the um, audience questions, I have one more for you, which has to do with pop culture trends. And we all have been fans, or have watched at least Six Feet Under, and uh, in, that, in that sort of 10-year period, Six Feet Under definitely profiled an industry that had not been so highly profiled, and we got to know the family, and we got to know the circumstances, and it, was, it, had, it had all the human emotions that were, frankly, sort of stripped from it until that point. You know, we had these passionate people with full lives, and how has that impacted your, your life, your social life, and your, um, just everything about your industry? Well, you know, it, it definitely has. I was pretty against it at first just because why do I want to watch something that I do on a daily basis? Why come home? they got paid more. They got paid more Exactly, yeah. Yeah, quite a bit more. So, you know, it didn't, it didn't really hit me at first that, oh, this is something I really want to watch. But a couple of years into it, you know, I rented one of the DVDs, and I actually watched it, and I thought uh, it, was, it was very interesting. They got into the characters. I really, really liked it. A little Hollywood once in a while, but I still think once in a while it, it, it did hit home and it did uh, present us in, in, a, in a fairly modest and good way. They were nuts, weren't they? <laughs> that family. There was a time when families lived in the mortuary. They lived above and the business went on downstairs. And as Jason was saying, you know, they portrayed them to be a little nuts. When people would come into the mortuary, oh, do you watch that show? And I, I had to say no because as Jason, you know, I'm not going to go home and watch somebody else do it for a lot more money. <laughs> exactly. Let's have an applause for this section of our show. So we're going to collect the final um, audience questions, and in the meantime, we're going to have a song. Hey, this song is from um, uh, Oh Brother, War Out Thou. War Out There. Yeah, there you go. Just picture George Clooney instead of my face, okay? Featuring Banjo by Woody Simmons.
for the audience questions. The first special guest is a woman named Diane Dodge, and I met her uh, relatively recently, and she's just a wonderful sea captain, first of all, but she's many other things, and she told me a story uh, that I wanted to have her share with you. Um, so please give a warm welcome to Diane Dodge. I was one of the three who raised my hand, saying I actually have a plan. So I want to tell you how that plan came to be. How, how many of you have heard of the Columbarium? Raise your hand if you've heard. Okay, so several people have. Uh, I had never heard of it before, and it is a three-story neoclassical building uh, north of Golden Gate Park. It's beautiful. In there they house the remains, the ashes of, of about 9,000 people, I think. There's some famous people there. Harvey Milk is there, and there's a lot of what you'd think are ordinary folks until you look at their lives. There are all these, they call them niches, I think, and they're, they're like two by three glass, very classy looking fish aquariums actually is what they look like, stacked on top of each other. And inside people put the ashes and then they put all sorts of mementos in there. And so when you walk by, you get to see all these people's lives. It's pretty cool. Well, what happened to me is that uh, I started dating a woman who was studying to be a Buddhist uh, hospice chaplain. And her class had gone to the columbarium. And if they actually had a plan by the end of the course, they got a really good grade. So she was going to buy a niche. And we'd been dating a couple months. And during that time, actually, I had found out I had breast cancer. So, you know, I knew there was like a little, you know, death question on me, like, hmm. So she asked me if I would go with her. And she was going to buy the niche, right? So we went, and I had never seen such a place. But when we left in the morning, it was raining. And I remember this because we had a big fight uh, in the rain about our relationship. You know, two months in, it's lesbian time. Like, what's going to happen with this? So uh, here we are arguing about our commitment. And two we... months in dog years is 15 years, by the way. Okay. <laughs> yes, yes. So um, there we were, long-term relationship. And so we go into this columbarium, and we're looking at these niches. And it's so, I can't say anything but that it's inspiring. Some people uh, have their favorite music playing. And after you see all these things, you, you just feel really inspired. So by the time it was all over, I had signed up. And I had bought a half of a niche with her. And it was just because we fell in love with life. You know, you realize like, hey, it's all about life. It's all about love, right? So it's a risk, you know? You gotta be fair, but you gotta jump in. So uh, I was thinking to myself, listening to you guys, and I thought, I don't think a lot of people when they go to a grave site have that kind of feeling, you know? Like usually, you know, romance and all that happens in the supermarket and all that. But, you know, here it was. I would, I would recommend your dates to the Columbarium. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, but I do need to say that we did, we did not stay together. So it's really important to make a plan if you buy a niche with someone, what is going to happen? Because it can be even a bigger deal than where does the dog go, you know, that kind of thing. 
it is, uh, they increase in value. They're better than the stock market when the stock market was good, okay? So she was very gracious. She bought my portion for the same price, you know, even after a couple years. And I'm gonna be buried at sea, and the Neptune uh, Society does that as well. And I think it's the cheapest thing we've talked about. It's about $500, at least I prepaid it, it's done. How much did you pay for the niche? Uh, it was 6000 back then. So Ooh. those little niches are the size of that little box there, so. What, that box? Well, maybe a little bit. No, 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 they're like a fish aquarium. They're like this. The, the one we bought was pretty big, but it was two years ago, so. But they're really expensive because there's only one in San Francisco. You're paying for the location on that one. Yeah, and they go up in value. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty wild. So we it's the Pacific a lot Heights of the industry. It is, it is. And you're, you're buried with famous people. There are like big names of San Francisco people, and all, they're all there. If there's an earthquake, you're all, you're mixed blood, all of us, or mixed ash with the famous. Thank you. Thank you very much. This is so brave of you to talk. A lot, of, a lot of themes came up there. A lot of themes for maybe a next show. Like, you know, when you share things like columbariums and partners, what do you do? There's the legal things. You, you know, you... Exactly. Who takes them? And it's also like, like, it's like it used to be the U-Haul thing. You know, I bring a U-Haul on the second day. Now I'm like, do you want to share a plot with me? I really like you. Um, the, the next special guest, uh, I want to give her a few minutes. She called me up and said, hey, I, I make shrouds. In fact, I make such beautiful shrouds that I, I was uh, a consultant on Six Feet Under, and I want to talk about my shrouds. And I said, you know what? Come over here with your shroud information and tell us a little bit about you. So Esmeralda, Esmeralda, would come up here for a few minutes and just tell us about her shrouds. Thank you for calling us and reaching out, and thank you for coming here. I just want to thank Tom and Jason and thank you for everything you said. I feel really, uh, I, I miss being in the cemetery and in the funeral home. Since I started making shrouds, I, um, I left the cemetery and the funeral home to uh, have a full-time shroud business. Uh, I started out in show business um, singing and being a costume designer and I actually, very much like Thomas, as a child, decided to be a, a makeup artist in a mortuary in the sixth grade, and very much related to Wednesday Adams and the Adams family. And there's actually a word for people that have that kind of ecstatic, glamorous feeling. It's called taphophilia. And I strongly think that a lot of people are reincarnated Egyptian. I'm sure Thomas was a high priest in Egypt. I love that. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> anyway, pyramids are expensive. Death is really personal, and there's no one that could choose what someone else would want. We have all kinds of feelings about it from claustrophobia. There's people that could never be buried because of a sense of claustrophobia to people who could never be burned because of a fear of fire. It's extremely personal, and my feeling getting into, I got into the, to the funeral industry in 2004 again and started working in a green burial cemetery where you can be wrapped in a shroud and go right in the ground. If you're Muslim, you can do that in a lot of cemeteries, but if you're choosing that for environmental reasons, up until very recently, that was not something that was available to you. Now, there's, it's, it, it's like a wildfire across the country. I just returned from the International Cemetery and Cremation Funeral Association convention in Las Vegas. That was, that was a trip. <laughs> showing, showing the shrouds. And I make shrouds that are very conventional, um, white linen. You can go right in the ground without any casket at all. There's no headstone. You're buried with a GPS trip. You're given a thing, and it beeps over your loved one. After a few, a few years, you can bury somebody else and your family right in the same space. That's a choice, and it's not a better choice. It's a different choice. And both of the choices that Jason and Thomas are offering, there's someone that wants that. There's someone, and I just feel very strongly that everybody should be able to be, um, to die the way they lived, you know, and if, if they lived eating granola and tofu and they want to be buried in the ground and turn into a tree, great. If they want to be cremated for $900, great. If they want to, to have Shomer and Taharim and have somebody sitting Shiva, 
that's fabulous. But everybody should be allowed to have what they want, and I'm just trying to add something, which now I don't work in the cemetery anymore. I sell burial shrouds in about 19 states around the country. So thank you very much. Thank you very much. Is there, is there, a, is there a way we can... Um, is there a, a, if we were interested in finding out about your particular shrouds, is there a place we'd, we'd understand how to find them? Oh, in the world of internet land, if you Google burial products, I'm at the top of the list, and I don't know how that happened. Thank you very much. You are an SEO wizard. A couple questions from the audience now. This is falling down, unfortunately. Everything wilts in my life. It's so sad. Um, yeah, well, you know. Okay, have you ever... This is such, I had this question in my head. Um, have you ever seen a ghost or felt a spirit at work? That's all yours, Tom. <laughs> now, in 30 years, people have brought that question to me before. I mean, if you're in the mortuary at 2 in the morning and bombing a body and you hear something creaking in the back, you're going to say it's some spirit or whatever. But they, the bodies don't sit up. <laughs> yeah, that, that is a rumor we need to put to rest. Yeah, yeah the yeah. bodies do not sit up. They don't speak. I've never seen a ghost. It's never far from my mind that we're doing something that is spiritual, the care of the dead. I walk into mortuaries at 2, 3, 4 in the morning, and if, if I hear a creak, it's because the building was built in 1937, and that's it. What was your most unusual burial request, i.e., Hunter Thompson was launched into space? Have you had anything that really is memorable for you that people said, I want this, and can you do it? Several years ago, a young man, <clears throat> he passed of AIDS, and he was fascinated with um, pharaohs in Egypt, Egyptology, and his request was to be um, as close as possible mummified. And at the funeral home, I wasn't working for them at the time, but they had called me, because I had a working relationship with them, to come over and embalm him per his request, and I knew his, I didn't know the decedent, but I knew some of his friends who had come in to assist in this. So I, he was placed with his arms crossed. Very strong fluids were used to embalm him. A death mask was done. And to the very best of our ability, we were able to embalm him to a point that in time his body would be mummified. Then his friends came and they selected a very simple casket and they had taken it out of the mortuary, brought it back, decorated like it was going into a tomb. Did it have to ultimately be put legally into the ground as any other casket would be? His body was cremated after this uh, service that they had for him, and his cremated remains were put into a bronze urn that looked like an Egyptian sarcophagus. So one day we had a, a Harley funeral. I don't know if there's any people that ride Harleys in here, but they're, they're very particular, and they all ride together, and they all show up for, for somebody's service. It's very loud. Uh, the request of the, uh, the wife of the deceased wanted the Harley in uh, the visitation room. And we're like, okay, well, well, we'll see if we can fit it in. So we drove the Harley in up the ramp and up to the visitation room, and we actually had it displayed right next to the casket. But then a day after, prior to burial, they actually wanted to bury the Harley-David motorcycle with the person. Yeah, yeah. So Treasure hunt. Wow. <laughs> the, the cemetery already had the, the grave dug. Everything was all set, ready to bury, and the family was insistent upon this. So they called the cemetery, and what they ended up doing was buying the farthest away plot they could possibly get out in the corner of the actual cemetery, they knocked on the person's door who lived right up where their property rushed up against the cemetery and said, look, if we brought in our own equipment and if we paid for the bulldozer to come in, would you let us bury this Harley Davidson in the corner of your yard that backs up to the cemetery? The family was just astounded and was like, what? They were like, okay. But... As, you know, what happened was they ended up working it out, and I never actually physically saw it get buried, but from what I hear, they actually ended up burying the motorcycle about seven feet away from the actual grave on the other side of the, of the fence of the cemetery, so. Yeah. Let me, let me just say real quick on that same question, something sweet. 
there was this, at our cemetery, there was this woman, her son had died and she had him buried at, at the cemetery. And her husband died and he was buried next to the son at the cemetery. And then when she died, we pulled her prearrangement uh, form and it showed that, we, and she had already paid for it, we were to exhume her husband and her son. They were to be uh, then cremated. She was to be cremated and all three of them were to be scattered at once. That's amazing. That, that makes so much sense. It's so complete in, in so many ways. It's like a family outing in a whole different way. Um, so this is a question that I think a lot of you have about the, physical, the physicality of, of what happens um, from the moment you... And you can go into as much detail as you want, but I think it's fascinating to a lot of us who don't understand and want to just know um, from the time the body arrives to you and when it's done, what, what, what's the process? And um, does it happen all on, in the same place or does it happen in a few different places? And uh, I, I'm imagining that at some point it's, it's the same and at some point it's different depending upon what's happening to the body. You know, it's treated on a case-by-case basis. As I'm not a licensed embalmer in the state of California, um, but in Michigan, uh, I'm an apprentice out here still, but in Michigan, what uh, we used to do was the, one of the most fascinating things about the job was when we would get a lady that had been in a nursing home for, you know, 10, 15 years of her life, just, you know, all, all her life was just drained out of her. And then she'd come into our office and we, you know, we'd go downstairs, we'd do the preparation work, we'd do the embalming, uh, we'd get uh, cosmetics on her, we'd get her all, uh, you know, uh, hairspray in the hair. We'd make, they'd, we'd make them bring in a picture to what they know what they used to look like. And the end result was just spectacular. And when a family would come in and just, I literally dropped to their knees and just be like, she's never looked as beautiful in more than 15, 20 years. It was just... You know, it went right to my heart, and I was like, that, I know I did something good. I, See, know. I think that's the gift of that industry, I have to say. I really do, to bring that peace and that recognition back to who they were before they were ill. It's also very time-consuming. I mean, my specialty is restorative art, where um, somebody who uh, ravaged by illness or in an accident or a situation where their physical features have changed drastically, the use of photographs, and taking something that is very disturbing and ugly and making it very pleasing and having a mother or father or children able to say goodbye to their relative in a positive way opposed to not being able to, uh, having last memories that are very um, traumatic. There's two questions that have to do with the legality of, of, of burial. Um, one is, can you take a family member to a remote park and bury it if that's their wish and and how would the government prosecute you if they found out um and the other question around that is is it legal to prepare the, your body yourself and just bring it and transport it um locally like can i drive a dead body to you you can do whatever you want because when a person dies it's personal property it's all up to the family if a, if a person dies at home and the family is there, and they want to address the decedent themselves, the only requirement is that they complete the legal required documentation in the state of California, which is a legal death certificate and a valid burial or cremation permit. And you can then transport the individual yourself. What the general public is not always aware of is that at the time of death, the natural process takes place. In a matter of an hour, the decedent is going to look a fraction different. In the matter of six hours, 12 hours, 24, 48, the natural decomposition process takes place. And sometimes it takes place rapidly and the, the results or the, the visual can be quite disturbing. So that's why we're here. Right to step in and assist you with that. But you can do whatever you want. Can you bury on in a park? No. You can't bring out Grandma and bury her in Golden Gate Park because, you, because that's where she enjoyed picnics. Someone wanted to know, how, how do you make someone look peaceful technically? What does that really entail for you guys? The, the, the traditional idea that you think is peaceful for someone to perceive. In our industry, you know, slumber, sleep. People look at that as uh, restful. So when an individual is received in the mortuary, uh, if viewing is 
uh, one of the requests, then what we, what we do is call pose the features, where the eyes are secured and closed, the mouth is secured and closed, just by presenting the individual in a slumber-like position invokes the, the restful um, emotions of the family. I can't tell you how many times people will come in and say, you put a smile on mother's face. No, we didn't. She was just happy to be away from you. No. <laughs> oh, God. Nice, nice. I was, I, wa- I was waiting for you to pop, and I was just like, ten. I, pop, I was waiting I for you to just Sorry. show your colors, baby. My, my personal things, as, you know, as an embalmer, was always to remove the glasses prior to closing the casket and place it in their hands. People generally don't sleep with their glasses on. And that was something that I, I learned from the person I worked under in Michigan, and I did it to my father when he passed away. And people have thanked me for doing that because, I mean, you know, for those of you who wear glasses, you know, most people don't sleep with their on, so take them off and rest them in their hands. So the more peaceful somebody is, the more they look like they're actually just sleeping, uh, I think the better. Um, someone wants to know if you guys have a trade secret that you would, would surprise them, like a little trade secret that you happen to have that you want to divulge. Aquanet. You know, a trade secret for me in making arrangements over the past 30 years and is I just be myself, not going in there trying to sell anything, not presenting myself to be a funeral director, but just a human being with the experience to help them through this uh, process, this life cycle. And Aquanet. Yeah, Aquanet comes in useful. Um, someone also wants to know, it, to, to, it's a great closing question for the question port in terms of both of you as individuals. Have you made arrangements? And if so, would you be willing to share with us what you, what you want for yourself, Pharaoh? <laughs> I really liked Ava Perone's funeral. Um, I do have a cemetery plot. <clears throat> and for me personally, I want, I want to be embalmed just for, because I am an embalmer. That's like being a baker and not eating cake. I don't know. Um, and I have a casket, which is, it's not elaborate. It's a very simple cloth-covered casket. On the, in a selection room, it's probably $900. I'll be embalmed, placed in a very simple, modest, cloth-covered casket and buried at the cemetery in Colma after the military flyover. <laughs> How about you, Jason? Have you thought about it yet? I'm with Tom on the fact that, you know, I do, I want to be involved. I want to have the viewing and visitation. There's a casket, actually, that I like. Uh, it's, it's made by, it's the Pembroke Cherry by Batesville Casket Company. It's, the uh, yeah, it's Cherry Cast. Sorry, I, you know, Number I know five, it's... Two, six, nine, I know. A little showy. Sorry, sorry, I know but what I... that is. You know, yeah, yeah nice. you know, it's a nice, nice <laughs> casket. I, <laughs> and I've, I've liked it. I've liked it for a long time, and... <laughs> we are going to do something that we do each, each uh, show where we ask um, four quiz questions and the audience gets prizes. So you guys can talk amongst yourselves and think of four questions. <clears throat> Mama, take this badge off of me. I don't want to use it anymore It's getting dark, too dark to see Looks like I'm knocking on heaven's door Knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door Guns in the ground. I can't shoot them anymore. Big dark clouds coming down. Looks like I'm knocking on heaven's door. 
more questions? Okay. Good. So before, before um, we do the quiz show, I, I want to present the guests with a gift from Get Smart Radio. I, I really toiled about this. I thought to myself, what do I want to give you guys that we, you, you would keep for a long time that would be meaningful to you? So I want to present you both with, with some cereal. There you go. For those in the listening audience, uh, our guest just got uh, a box of Life cereal. Because Life cereal makes everything all better. I'm going to go home and bury this. <laughs> in the boundaries of San Francisco. Continue. She got it. Go oh, right there. Okay, the first question to our audience is which cemeteries are still in the boundaries of San Francisco? Continue. Go right there. Yeah. Okay, question number two. What is the most expensive aspects of our industry? The funeral, the embalming, or the cemetery? That's correct. What was the cost of cremation for my firm and also for Tom's firm? She got it right there in the back. But why is ours more expensive? Yeah, what's, what's the key secret over here? <laughs> you guys really were listening. <laughs> what is the trade secret of our business? Aquaman! That was just too easy. Being yourself. Be yourself and Be yourself. All right, she's got it back there in the black. There you go. And I want to just thank again our wonderful, wonderful guests, Jason Bruce and Thomas Howard. Thank you guys very much. Thanks for coming to Get Smart Radio. Thank you, Get Smart Fans. I want to take a moment also to thank the venue here, which is Coffee Bar and Lindsay and Jason and Luigi. They're amazing and wonderful, wonderful people. And I have to tell you, since October 2007, Dana Jay has been supporting Get Smart Radio as a sound person, and she's phenomenal. And she brings with her her class, which she teaches at City College. And they're amazing. They've been with us for the past couple shows, and they're, we hope you stay with us, and you've made it really possible for us to do that. Get Smart Radio. We don't want to do anything to scare your children. That's the last thing we want to do. We want to do. The Air Force has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. <laughs> I don't wonder what's in your cereal, Get Smart Radio. I'm going to try and forget you said that.